What's up, Stu? How you doing? How are you? I'm good. We're back. We're back. All right. Just want to make sure that everyone in the room can hear us okay. Are we good? If so, uh, shout out the uh, the thumbs up emoji. I'm hearing a bit of an echo, though. Um, how are you connected to the call-on room? That's possibly... I'm connected through my head. Hopefully, my right, the right speaker is working. Oh, wait. Hang on a second. No, it's it's my end. It's my bad. Okay. You know, how how would we start these streams if not for me having technical difficulties? What else would we do? No, I think that'd just be silly. We'd be wasting our time. <laughs> yeah, why would we do anything otherwise? Anyhow, yeah, it uh, looks like we can hear you both fine in the in the call-in room as well as uh, on the stream. So we're good. We're good to go, man. How's uh, How are you this week? Good. Good. We are uh, had the first uh, newspaper of 2022 in the bag. Uh, nice and easy one. Um, yeah, nice I, I took a big long break all uh sort of christmas and over new year's just i didn't want look at anything news wise and then when i came back it just it was like falling off the wagon mm-hmm. just reading everything i could and then it just made me upset so but how are you hold up people are asking people are asking if i'm on dial-up am i am i not sounding good on the uh, uh, no the it's your, your camera what it what is it like solution for your camera my resolution for the camera um it's uh full 1080p resolution Oh, okay, because it's it's just uh, a little bit. There. Why is it? Uh, is it looking low res? Yeah, a little bit low res. You're oh. a little bit sixty four bit. Oh, hang on a second. Maybe it's my VPN. Hang on, let me turn that off. Let's get the VPN on. He's 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 stealing. He's pirating. <laughs> All right, are we now? Oh well, now you're frozen. I'm frozen altogether. All right, I'm gonna come yep. back into the room. One sec. Gotta love that 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 Canadian. Uh, VPN. Oh, now it's now it's the Stewcast. I'm taking over, silencing uh, Q's voice. It's all me. Um, yeah, I've got nothing. I got nothing. I immediately froze. Okay. No, okay, he's back. Looking now. Oh, I'm you're back. much better. Much better. There all we right. go. Yes, the v- VPN was throttling my my speed. Oh well, that's what it is. We're good. We're back. Anyway, um, yeah, we haven't uh, done the Canuckcast for a while because I know that. Uh, we had some technical stuff to work out on the uh, production end. And then on top of that, we had to take a little break uh, from the culture towards the end of the year because everybody was wrapping up their year, moving towards the holidays, et cetera. Your boy had to go and get married. You know? mm-hmm. By the way, I, I'm, I'm now a wife guy, so I can't stop telling people, yeah. hey, I got married. I'm an honest man. Look, see, she put a ring on it. I got, I got to keep talking about that. Demon eyes are over. <laughs> no, demon hours have just begun. It's like uh, uh, a comrade. She's right on the other side of the camera. With a, with no, a down bad machine gun. Down bad is not a t-shirt. It's a tattoo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. On your forehead. Um, but you're you're basically so because I've been uh, very much out of the loop of what's been happening in Canadian politics for a while because I've just been focused on like pulling this entire project together. Uh, you are now my Canadian news dealer. You're mm-hmm. like you're you're the one that. You're my plug for what's happening in the Canadian zeitgeist. Yesterday's price is I, not today's I'm price. To be honest with you, I haven't been keeping up. <laughs> yesterday's price <laughs> not is not today's, today's price. price. Nope. Um, right, Pat, Joe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it's there. There's it's it sucks. It sucks right now, and it's like the the only like solace you have is that we're like we're not the U.S., but just by barely. Um, the, I guess the, the 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 newest one is that just sort of dropped yesterday is that like uh, Legault wants to sort of tax 
the unvaccinated, as you probably guessed from our, our, our title, uh, which I'm not right. really sure what the point of that is. If like beyond whether or not he's even that that'll even be uh, doable, but like they're at like ninety percent, almost over ninety percent first vaccinated. Who is this for? Well, this this first dose vaccination vaccination even count anymore? It seems to me like everybody is uh, making the second dose vaccination the benchmark because now we're yeah. down to whether or not you've gotten your booster vaccination. It's because it, that's the thing where it's, it just it's I, I can understand why people are sort of uh, like getting sort of sick of these things or maybe uh, tapping out from following it, getting the booster, because it does very much feel like a moving goalpost because it is. It keeps yeah. sort of we just keep kicking the can. And yeah, uh, to still can't drive it. There is there's a level of like it's just sort of is this just a cash grab, especially when it's like a flat like fee it, it doesn't make any sense there's no i don't doesn't feel like there's any thought to it other than lego can feel like he's doing something we have to do well, something there's quebec has been implementing a number of measures that i don't know that we have any actual evidence has even worked so far yeah for example there's the uh the the curfews the the 10 p.m curfews do we have any actual evidence that the curfews have curbed uh transmission no and you had a plenty of like health uh, professionals being interviewed and i remember this on like the cc and uh ctv other places where they just asked them straight up what is the scientific or health data like evidence that you're basing these curfews on they basically just said not really we just know that young people tend to be the ones who would go out and gather after these times and they're the ones i guess uh, leading the spread so we're just going to do it. It's one of these other things where it's just so they can seem like they're doing something because the thing that, because that's the thing, the thing that they, I think should be doing, they absolutely do not want to do, which, is, which is, I think probably another like serious lock to hopefully try and let this burn out. Is trying to sort of just right. deciding. Just more, the oh, thing, though. Like, do we, do we know, do we know for certain that the lockdowns, at least the way that they've been implementing them, I'm not going to say whether like lockdowns are curbing transmission. We know that if you lock down, whether it's targeted to a city or a broader region, we know that lockdowns can be immensely effective. It's just, it just depends on how they're applied. If you're mm-hmm. like doing lockdowns uh, that allow for loopholes where people are still able to like get into wide open public spaces and, 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 uh, Breathe the, the same air and transmit the virus, and we know that that doesn't work. Um, there's also the fact that, like in Ontario, mm-hmm. and that, it, back to school next week. Yeah, yeah. It ha- and when I say lockdown, it has to actually be a lockdown where it's like the Amazon fact fulfillment centers can't be open. You can't have malls open, right. which is why the, the like the the discussion of the because people do kind of have a point where if we're gonna have all of those other places open. Why are the schools closed? And my answer to that would be, well, those places should be closed as well, honestly, if I was in charge. And we would still keep schools closed because even though they're opening again next week, knock on wood, um, what's changed since they were supposed to go back the last time? And we said we have to push it back two weeks. It's, it, it, I, I would not say we're in a better situation by any metric than we were two weeks ago. 
by the way, for uh, viewers, okay, so I'm I'm looking on my computer. Am I still coming through like potato quality on my webcam? A little bit. Oh my goodness, what is going on here? All right, hang on a second. I'm gonna try and change like to. You may just be running too many things from one computer. Just not have enough bandwidth. Uh, the memory on this computer is supposed to be like, I, I've got tons of memory on this computer. I'm not sure why it wouldn't <laughs> be able to handle whatever it is that I'm throwing at it. Uh, it's N95 mass and test. Yeah, that's the other thing where I've, I've been fought in Quebec. Quebec promised every eligible person in, in uh, like the province, which is everyone over the age of 18, and they're sending these tests home with school age children after uh, during the break. But they promised everyone five tests, one box of five tests each person per month. And it's like all of the, the shipments they sent to. Um, pharmacies were like gone within hours and people were just were desk struggling to find them one person would get a box and then sort of like ration them off to their neighbors or their friends and it sort of that's one of those things where just admit you don't have why would you make the promise of that if you can't fulfill it it seems it seems just take every multiply that by five do we have that many tests can we get them to uh, like pharmacies on time? If the answer is no, don't promise that. But somehow they keep right. promising things that they're not actually going to follow through on and then not doing the things that they honestly probably should be. Uh, so if you want to give me one second, I'm just going to, um, I'm, I'm going to reload this room and see if I can back in that improves the video quality. Can you give me one second? Yeah. All right. Public school students read posts about the take-home test from their school being used at the school. Yeah, yeah, there was like it was the um, I was reading that and he was saying there was one student that just all going into the bathroom and one's doing the test and he's like, "Hey, does this look positive to you?" And it's like these are just two red lines, or they're in study hall, and one kid gets uh, like a positive test in the middle of study hall and it like almost causes a bit of a stampede and then fucking out today or maybe i saw that yesterday but they staged their own walkout um and you can understand it's like the, the yes and i q you're making this point on monday yes the sort of uh at home stuff is not working very well but we're just it's just not viable to have kids in school if your main priority is keeping them safe because it just seems keeping them safe from no. contacting the virus uh, so that's the thing. Like when people um, when people talk about uh, t uh, keeping kids out of school, it's not so like no one I think wants children to go to remote learning. Like keep in mind, uh, you know, the year leading up to the pandemic, Ontario teachers were ready to uh, pull an all out strike against mandatory online learning, which was a uh, policy that the Ford government wanted to implement with almost zero input from the teachers themselves at all. It was just a unilaterally decided policy. So the teachers aren't a fan of it. I'm certainly not a fan of it. I don't think that anybody is a fan of remote online learning. But then when it comes down to a matter of whether you're going to put children into school or you want to keep children out of school, due to the fact that community transmission inside of schools, like schools have been, uh, schools have been in the Toronto area, this is true, especially in low-income neighborhoods uh, like uh, in the Rexdale region where I grew up, Rexdale ended up becoming a hotspot for COVID transmission. And the problem with a lot of these schools is that uh, many of them are underfunded, um, poorly ventilated, not well-maintained. 
uh, they end up becoming vectors for transmission. And it's not just the, uh, the students transmitting to each other, but they're transmitting to the teachers and the teachers are transmitting to their families. And then you have another all out breakout um, during the first and second waves. Um, you know, you saw the you saw uh, senior care facilities, you saw Amazon fulfillment centers and you saw schools becoming prime vectors for community transit or transmission. So, no, nobody wants children to do online only learning. But the problem is you can't continue with things as per usual, knowing that we haven't developed a strategy to stop or at least drastically reduce community transition or transmission inside of schools. Mm-hmm. And we're starting to see uh, outbreaks in uh, the, the uh, elderly residences, uh, especially a few in uh, Quebec. There's just, I think, four deaths at uh, CHSLD, which is their, like, the old folks, the name of their uh, provincially run uh, residences. And so it's starting up again. All of these sort of, like, I know it seemed like maybe, I don't know if I want to say wishful thinking, because I think that's too uncharitable. But people really wanted to be super mild and to just be a cold. And I don't know if it's going to pan out that way. I think it's, we're, it's it's a little bit worse than that, and just be, and you can't just stamp your feet and say, well, it, it, the the things we're doing to address the pandemic are have these harms, so therefore we should act in a way that pretends like the vi- the, the the pandemic isn't still happening. We still have huge oh, community hey. spread. Stu, I think I figured this out. Are you um are you uh are you running your camera directly to um, the streaming app, or are you doing it through OBS? I'm doing it straight through to Melon. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> Excuse me. There's um, there's a bit of a lag on my end, and it seems like Melon is not connecting us very well because when you when you speak, there's like a somewhere between a one and a one and a half second delay between what you say, like what I'm hearing, and your lips actually moving. That is very strange. Yeah, I know. And well, it's just I, I talked that fast. You can't fast. do anything about it either. No. No, you're not, yeah, you're not going to talk twice as fast. Yeah, I can't do much about it because then uh, you're not going to want to, like, stop the stream. But here's what I am going to do. I'm going to sign in as a host. And, um, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sign in as a host. And uh, that way you might be able to sign out, sign back in. Also, you're not running a VPN, are you? Nope. Uh, okay, yeah, this is really weird. Oh my God! So the cloud streaming app that we're using here comes um, here the comes the blame game. Using it, no, it's it's actually like it's not a very good app, and we've we've passed on feedback to their mm-hmm. team, and uh, so far they haven't really been able to offer us any fixes or improvements. But we use this app called Melon, which is um, it's it's made by Streamlabs, the same people that made "quote unquote" Streamlabs OBS, which they're now having to change to Streamlabs desktop because. You know, everyone recognizes that they're biting off the OBS brand. And the only reason that we use it is because it allows for stream alerts. Uh, so, like, if there's, like, uh, subscriptions slash uh, donations and so forth, you can actually see the alerts on screen. But then the problem is um, there's, like, several really buggy problems with it. So, I don't know, man. We might have to switch back to StreamYard. It was it seemed Possibly. to be pretty flawlessly when we were using StreamYard, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's that was the thing where it's that uh, with the the alerts don't really work anyways, and it just kind of it just uh, hard codes it to the the stream onto the YouTube, which is kind of annoying. So, well, here's the thing: do you want to um, 
Well, I guess you can't like set it because like all of the uh, the uh, um, the media and everything is inside of the uh, the stream or the Melon app, right? It's not inside of uh, Streamyard, right? Still be there. Oh, word. Well, you yeah, want the we... and everything else. All that stuff is there. Yeah, I didn't delete it. Do you want to just like do you want to pause the Twitch stream and then come right back on Streamyard? Uh, sure. Okay. Completely up yeah. to you. Now we that. All right, let's go ahead and do that. We're going to uh, take, take a quick break. Sorry, yeah, now I can't even hear you. All right, what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break. We're going to pop back onto the uh, StreamYard stream and then resume the show. And uh, for anybody who's listening on Colin, uh, we're going to take a quick, like, two-minute break as well. We'll be back in, like, one second. <laughs> So yeah, major major apologies to everybody uh, for that uh, that that brief break, but uh, yeah, we just had to make sure that the uh, the Twitch stream was actually working correctly, 
and that my video quality on the on the webcam wasn't looking like I was uh, streaming off of. Uh, wait, it's still like this. What the hell? It's still like this. I was Get waiting. Out of here. I was waiting for you to notice. Oh I my god! Whatever. Nothing we can do about it. Nothing we yeah. can do. You'll be fine. That is so weird because I was just doing a uh, I was just doing a speed test on um on my computer, and I was getting like full on gigabit connection. So I don't know why it's like this. Ah, uh, whatever. I don't know. We'll deal. Anyhow. Oh, sorry. Where were we now? We were talking about uh, Quebec and their response to uh, um, their vaccine response. Yeah, I think we, we moved on to sort of just like they've done a bunch of measures that just sort of I, like they were they're the fir- like we they were the first ones to start. I mean, between Quebec and Ontario, they locked down the borders, which was kind of a pain in the butt when that like that was year one, which we're now into almost into year three. It's hard to think about. Um, and like the 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 uh the curfews which i even like when it couldn't provide any sort of actual um evidence for why it was like why it was needed or if it actually worked and it's been in place for a while now and i don't see them presenting any evidence since that either right so Uh, um well i don't know if you've uh have you read some of the other uh, news articles on the uh, the vaccine tax uh rather yeah for the unvaccinated and uh, what policy experts have been saying about that yeah no i've been reading some and it's it's i mean it's it's all going to come down obviously to that magic phrase uh, notwithstanding clause for all of these concerns about whether or not they're going to be able to do it um but it's also it's uh, proposing a flat tax too of at least a hundred dollars yeah it's it's insane. It's it's just it's it. I like I and if you are in that ten percent, and say you are just adamant against getting the vaccine, I don't think you're. At, it's actually going to affect you. I think you've probably figured out a way to go about your life where you don't have to, where you wouldn't ha- like end up even paying the tax in the first place. Because like I think it was when you access healthcare. Right. So uh, to uh, run through a BBC article on it, um, uh, they were saying that uh, Quebec, which has seen the highest number of COVID-related deaths in Canada altogether, Quebec has been uh, the most fatal province as far as uh, COVID deaths, uh, is currently struggling with the surge in cases. So on Tuesday, Premier uh, Francois Legault announced it would be the first in the nation to financially penalize the unvaccinated. So when you think about like financial penalties, I mean, when you think about any sort of like flat, flat tax or fine or anything like that, you remember the Vandal Hearts quote? Do you remember that? Uh, no. I, I basically like a. Uh, I forget. I'm paraphrasing here, but basically, like a a flat tax is a uh, a fine for the poor. Oh, yeah. If it's if yeah. it's just if it's a tax, it's just a if a if a crime is punishable by a tax. A fine. Yeah. It's, it's only it's, a crime yeah, for it's, the poor. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I what it says here is that only twelve percent. 12.8% of Quebec residents are not vaccinated, but they make up nearly a third of all hospital cases. So according to federal data, just over 85% of Quebec residents had received at least one vaccine dose by the 1st of January. Premier Francois Legault said during a news conference that people who have not received the first dose of vaccine will have to pay a quote-unquote contribution. Uh, the fee has not yet decided, been decided, but it will be significant. Yeah. I think right now it's a question of fairness for the 90% of the population who have made some sacrifices, Mr. Legault said. I think we owe them this kind of measure. Uh, last week, the government announced it would require proof of vaccination to shop in government cannabis and liquor stores. Curfew is also in place, the second one of the pandemic, running from uh, 10 o'clock to 5 a.m. each day. 
uh, on Tuesday, Quebec's death toll reached uh, 12,028. Uh, so what they're looking at is, um, as you said, a, a flat tax that would be applied when accessing uh, hospital and medical services. They say it could also uh, be applied to your their tax filings, their provincial tax filings. Right, right. Um, but here's the thing. Over 200 members of the city's unhoused population have tested positive. So if unhoused people are coming into hospitals, uh, they're getting tested, and at the point of uh, the point of uh, delivery of service, they're testing positive. It tells you that unhoused people are experiencing um, uh, a mini pandemic of their own. So there, there is a, a massive surge in cases. Um, Quebec altogether reported 8,710 new cases on Tuesday. That represents a 20% positivity rate. There's currently 2,742 COVID patients in Quebec hospitals, including 244 in intensive care. Uh, while rare, it's not the only region in the world seeking to impose a financial penalty on those unwilling to be vaccinated. Uh, starting later this month, Greeks over the age of 60 are required to pay a 100 euro fee. That's $142 Canadian or 113 US. 100 euro fee fine for each month that they remain unvaccinated. Um, Singapore has required COVID patients to pay for their own medical bills if they are not vaccinated. And as you know, uh, the state of Chicago had a uh, state representative that did uh, put forward a bill or a, rather a uh, proposal to. Um, uh, to require those who are unvaccinated to pay their own medical bills, not qualify for insurance if they end up in the hospital. Um, that that proposed measure was widely panned, as it should have been, and was withdrawn. Um, but a state like Singapore, which is, uh, you know, highly run from the top down, highly authoritarian. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we want to be like Singapore. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, right. so that's, the, that's the model you want to emulate. The Singapore government, to be specific. I don't want to insult any of our fans, which I'm sure we have plenty of. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, Singaporean fans uh, who are familiar with the government of Singapore should know enough that their government yeah. fucking sucks. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, it's it's one of one of the most uh, economically immobile places in the entire world. Mm-hmm. And the, the other thing that the one thing I've been noticing, and because I keep bringing up this number, it's like this percentage of the people in hospital are unvaccinated. One thing I've noticed, that number's ticking down a little bit. That They're saying it's roughly 50% of the COVID-19 beds in hospitals uh, are being used up by uh, uh, the unvaccinated, which 10% of the population using 50% of the COVID-19 hospital beds is still excessive. But that still means half of those are vaccinated people. However, whatever level of vaccination that means. And when they say unvaccinated, is that children under five, too? Is that included in there? Sorry, they're not that? vaccinated. Oh, I said I children five aren't vaccinated. And uh, the other thing was the the, um, the, gov- the provincial government of Quebec just sort of uh, on the fifth announced that they would be restricting PCR tests to uh, like only people who were either already in hospital or in a, uh, a senior's residence or uh, I think indigenous communities um, because they were getting like forty seven thousand PCR tests. Uh, on like the day before they announced on like January fourth, capacity for the for uh, the the labs and stuff and the just people to administer the tests is about thirty thousand a day. So they're about they they received about seventeen thousand over their their daily capacity. So they're the numbers are are probably way off, which is I the only argument I sort of buy with why sort of reporting the numbers doesn't really isn't really useful anymore because we have no idea if those numbers are accurate and they're probably way under what they actually look the truth. 
So as far as uh, the uh, the Quebec policy goes, I mean, we know exactly who that's going to end up hurting the most. It's going to hurt, uh, you know, lo- the lowest income earners. Uh, it's going to hurt uh, those people who are currently on house that haven't been able to um, access uh, vaccination services uh, are oftentimes like transient, not necessarily living in the same city uh, from month to month. Uh, we do know that it's going to affect the undocumented. There's still a high hesitancy rate among people who are undocumented. And even though provinces have reassured and stated, restated multiple times that you know, immigration agents are not going to be waiting for undocumented people at uh, vaccination sites, I mean, they can say one thing and then you know, immigration services... Will they don't really have the credibility yeah. to say that exactly, or, exactly. in a way that anyone would believe. You know, while we may not have the same sort of like, uh, you know, uh, draconian and like cowboy acting uh, type of immigration services that the United States has, we do have many cases where um, immigration agents have, I don't want to say acted of their own accord, but uh, acted in a way that was contravening the spirit of what our immigration policies are supposed to be. Um, and, uh, you know, routing people uh, from even things such as refugee claims into immediate detention, where whereas mm-hmm. you're supposed to be able to file a refugee claim, but because uh, they've arbitrarily deemed the United States as a a safe uh, a safe first country, then if you come to Canada through the United States, um, they are oftentimes arbitrarily denying people the refugee status, and then they end up having to fight uh, the government of Canada in court to be able to claim refugee status. Mm-hmm. So it, you know it's a uh, one of the situations where the government and provincial health officials can say as much as they want, they can shout to their blue in the face that if you, it's more important for you to be vaccinated than for us to try and capture you and put you into immigration detention. But good luck at getting that message across, especially given how um, migrant laborers uh, during the first wave of the pandemic, mm-hmm. how they were treated, you know, that they're, their rights to freedom of movement was restricted, that they were essentially forced to work on farms, passports were taken away, et cetera. Uh, so when, when you do that, when you've allowed private companies uh, to exercise that level of um, control over people's human rights and their charter rights, good luck regaining that trust that you've, you've basically pissed away. Yeah. And like, especially when, if you're in Quebec and you saw a bunch of like provincial MPs, as soon as there was another wave, uh, here comes the, the, like, oh, we need to shut down Roxham Road. This is, we need to have, like, mm-hmm. border guards at Roxham Road. And it's just that, it, it, yeah, there's no one's, and I think the other criticism or concern people probably have is if you're going to be finding people who are unvaccinated and potentially their, uh, their, ta- their provincial taxes, does that mean that you're now going to be sharing what is, we've been told all throughout this uh, pandemic is confidential uh, information. They can't share that with the public uh, vaccination status or right. whether someone's gotten COVID, but now they're going to be sharing that with uh, the uh, provincial revenue agency or the, whoever does the taxes. I'm stupid. I don't know what the word is. I'm like, not going to well, Google right now. The, one of the, uh, the problems is that, um, and this, this is uh, one of those items that was memory hold uh, from the first wave of, of the pandemic is that, uh, police are not supposed to be able to access your health status, not supposed to be able to access your vaccination status. And we know that in, all, in many cases they had actually done that. I remember mm-hmm. when people weren't even allowed outdoors to parks. This is back before yeah. we knew that, you know, transmission was primarily airborne and that if you're outdoors, your risk of airborne transmission is is fairly low. 
Uh, so when you weren't allowed to go out for a jog or allowed to go fly a kite with your kids, uh, people were being approached by police and uh, being given tickets and in some cases even uh, placed under arrest. And being encouraged um, and, and, to snitch yeah. on their like uh, their on their, their neighbors, uh, neighbors, and and then in the course of those detainments, uh, people's uh, COVID status uh, and, and in some cases their health status was accessed by police, and they were not supposed to have access to that information. So once you've already like once you've done the overreach, you can't really put the toothpaste back in the tube. Once you've lost people's trust, especially when you said we're all in this together, and we're going to exercise the most humane set of policies that we possibly can. And then you go and do this. I mean, you know, is it any wonder that people simply don't trust you? Yeah, we have. I have just a quick two-minute clip of uh, Lego just answering questions about the thing uh, about the uh, vaccination tax. Sure, and also did you, saying have, that. Uh, did you have Trudeau's comments as well? Yeah, but uh, that was about Ukraine. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I know that uh, Trudeau had weighed in and basically said that. Well, this is. I mean. As happens every single time that uh, the government of Quebec decides that they're going to do something that could potentially violate people's charter rights, Trudeau and the Liberal government in general will just say, well, it's a provincial issue, nothing that we can do, because they know that uh, Quebec, and now essentially every province, has, uh, you know, the trump card that they can pull out of their sleeve, which is the notwithstanding clause. Yeah. Yeah. And also Quebec is very... Yeah, Quebec is very seat rich, so you don't want to piss them off one way or another. Exactly, exactly. Um, so uh, yeah, it, so I, that's why I didn't grab any of uh, Trudeau's comments on that because that's what he said. Okay. Uh, you no, called no it. Works. Um, all right, I'll grab the let go. Uno momento. Not sure tab audio. Perfect. Yeah. To fight the virus. This is why we're looking uh, for a health contribution for adults who refuse to be vaccinated for non-medical reasons. Those who refuse to receive their first dose in the coming weeks will have to pay a new health contribution. On this unvaccinated tax, this is really unprecedented for Quebec for Canada to levy a health care premium on someone who's unvaccinated. I mean, I know we do similar things with cigarettes. They're taxed. People who smoke have to pay more for them, but they don't have to pay more for health care. How do you expect to roll this out? There's going to be a lot of legal challenges to this, ethical challenges, whether someone can't afford it, they're unvaccinated, that's their choice. How, how are you going to manage this? This is, this is okay. a big deal. Okay. Um... Yes, it's a big deal. Uh, if you look at what's happening in other countries or other states, everybody uh, is trying to find a solution, a uh, question of equity. Because right now, these people, um, they put a very important burden on our healthcare uh, network. And I think it's normal that the majority of the population is asking that there be a consequence. And uh, yes, we will continue to uh, look at uh, spreading the use of the uh, vaccine passport. But I think we have to uh, go uh, further. And uh, I think that right now... um, 
It's a question also of fairness for uh, the 90% of the population who made some sacrifices. Uh, uh, I think uh, we owe them uh, this kind of measure. I See, I don't know what it's actually going to accomplish. I think that probably the, 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 the result of this will be negligible. I don't know if it's going to make a huge 10%, even assuming that, that all those 10% can be persuadable. I mean, probably even at that 10%, you're probably looking at, at best, maybe you could squeeze out another 5% and leave the people who just, whether carrot or stick, uh, I've been muted that whole time. Oh God! Well, Colin heard me, but I'm just saying. I think that yeah. the the uh, the 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 measure is going to be based legible. The 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 most adamant are going to. Am I still muted? I can't still be muted. No, I can hear you. Okay, cool. Yeah, you I'm still. still all right. I just seen comments on uh on disc on Twitch. Uh, but yeah, I just I don't think it's going to make much of a difference. I think it's going to maybe like. Get, you can probably at best get five percent more people. What you could probably get more people with, and I'm saying this here, is just if you're already going to be going into their like information to find the people who are unvaccinated, why not just go to where they live and be like, hey, we have the vaccine here. You don't even have to put your shoes on. Two minutes, we do it for you, and we're gone. We'll come. We'll even come back in whatever the interval is, three months now or, or eight weeks or, or whatever it is. And we'll do it again. We'll give you the, the second one. I think you probably get even more people doing it that way than with some with just a, a fine. Right. Well, the other part is that um, you know that uh, for some people, and I'm talking about primarily like the yellow vest types. Uh, the idea of the government going door to door, you know, knocking on people's doors and, yeah, and asking fair. them like, "Hey, have you been vaccinated? No, if not, well, we can offer you the vaccine." Which is, you would think that that is the the most sensible method. I mean, obviously, like you have to have your your community vaccine sites, but for those people who have not yet received the vaccine, um, that whatever obstacles that they have towards getting vaccinated, whether it's getting a day off work that they can go to the closest vaccine site, uh, whether it's uh, that they maybe have uh, disabilities and can't make it out there on their own, or whatever the obstacles are, or the registration uh, uh, portal is just right. a giant pain in the ass to use, mess. and yeah, you can like never find a portal. Yeah, listen, I haven't, I haven't been, I haven't gotten my booster shot for that exact reason because trying to find a booster shot in my region, or trying to find a, a, a date and time to get a booster shot, is a fucking nightmare. Right? My so, sister's a. My sister's a wizard at it. I couldn't get it like all three times, and I like was almost gonna give up. My yeah. sister was like, "I got it," and then got all three me, my mom, and my uh, and herself like one shot each time. And I don't understand how she keeps getting lucky or figuring it out. But yeah, I mean, there was also um, what was the name of that organization that was like, uh, what was it uh, Vaccine Finders or something like that? Where Vaccine Hunters. Was, vaccine Hunters, yeah, where you could go to the site and they would direct you towards where is the best. Uh, available site to get the vaccine and I, there was a Toronto Star article that was like celebrating them as like an, you know a, a great example of the community stepping up mm-hmm. and it was just like one of those heartwarming USA Today stories about you know some like fast food worker walking 15 miles each way to work and then finally one day their neighbors pitched in to get them a car 
And it's like eleven yeah, years full time job to pay for his parents' medication yeah, or some shit yeah, like that. Yeah, and it's like sure you can call that heartwarming, but it's also a sign that there are some major policy failures happening, and people shouldn't have to do this. So mm-hmm. it's yeah, where it comes to uh, to getting the booster shot, like I will admit, I've given this a lot less effort than I have for getting the initial two shots to begin with. But that's because we were told when the uh, when the, the the two dose vaccines were released in the first place, it's like, hey, we got our two doses, and then this is over and done with. And then the Delta variant comes out, and there was some breakthrough transmissions occurring, and then the Omicron mm-hmm. happens, and it's basically like, all right, well, you're probably going to get the virus, but it's not going to be anywhere near as serious as if you were not vaccinated. So basically, like, so what is this going to look like? Are we just going to have to continue getting booster shots in perpetuity like am i gonna have to get my quarterly vaccine dose well if we can because it, it seems like it's it's all sort of time together because if your goal if the stated goal by a lot of uh western countries was we're going to vax our way out of this but you're not vaxing the majority of like the global south then you're not vaxing your way out of this you're just no, allowing no. for it to yeah. for what happened to happen even trying to say that this is a vaccines only approach is giving way too much credence to the approach that's been taken so far because there has there hasn't been <clears throat> excuse me any concerted effort towards making sure that the global south is fully vaccinated the fact that uh vaccine patents have not been relaxed that essentially that we've we've enabled uh major pharmaceutical corporations to protect their patents uh the fact that we have promised to ship out uh to ship out rafts of vaccine doses uh to countries in latin america to uh to african countries to countries in south asia etc and simply haven't followed through on the or even when we do follow through the vaccines are like a month away from expiring from expiring and then many of them can't be used in the first place so we say hey you should just go ahead and use them and then there there's just not as high efficacy as if they'd gotten fresh vaccines so unfortunately what we're looking at is a uh like a, a a a regardless of like how draconian the measures there are that they want to impose in our neck of the woods for making sure that we vax our way out of this, the mm-hmm. fact that they haven't been making as diligent an effort to make sure that, uh, you know, uh, 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 global South countries have access to the vaccine and are able to vaccinate their own population means that there is no vaccines only approach. Essentially we're just fooling ourselves until hopefully this whole thing blows over. Yeah. And now it's what like, we're, well, we're doing rather than trying to vaccinate our way, way out, we're simply trying to define our way out. That mm-hmm. people who have died uh, with with COVID have had comorbidity comorbidities, have had uh, disabilities in auto you know, uh, immune disorders, etc. So it may not be totally COVID. Uh, that this may be, in a sense, uh, a, a a simple other version of the flu, which is what m- many of the anti-vaxxers were saying yeah. in the first place. So we're essentially saying that we're we're going to take the same tack as the anti-vaxxers, which is. Simply go about life as usual. Go back to work. Do what you were already doing. Uh, however, just make sure that you're doing it with the vaccination. So we're going to do exactly and say exactly what the we're going to do what the anti-vaxxers do. Say what they say. Mm-hmm. The only difference being that uh, yeah, you're, you're so it sounds more like right. It sounds official yeah. and it sounds like it's actual medical advice. But essentially, what what happens is uh, they've instituted um, vaccination and thus. Uh, essentially a subsidy towards big pharmaceutical company or corporations. That is your price. Like that's, that's your pay to play for being able to, to participate in civic life in any way, shape or form. 
Mm-hmm. And the, the other new catchphrase that has been bouncing around a lot is this new uh, from COVID slash with COVID for uh, hospitalizations. And my whole thing is, is, you know, that number just means how many people are catching COVID when they're going to the hospital with, for something else. That's still a bad number, especially right. if the higher that number go. Like if we're saying the majority of the people catching COVID are catching it in the hospital, that's a bad thing. If we have huge community spread in hospital, we should probably be doing something about that. Um, it, 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 it just doesn't seem like the, the it, 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 like you said, we're trying to find our way out of it, saying, well, these people, it doesn't really matter that we have this many people in hospital from COVID because most of them went there for something else. And now they're, now they caught COVID and they're already in the hospital. It's like, well, that's just probably going to cause even more strain on our uh, hospitalizations, which means maybe we should be doing further lockdowns so people aren't going around doing other shit and causing them to go to the hospital. Right. So, I mean, you know, shout out to them. Uh, many, uh, you know, uh, civil liberties lawyers uh, have expressed their alarm at uh, what Quebec proposes to be uh, their way to coerce the remaining on vaccine. And the thing is, like, once you've hit 85%, uh, once you've hit 85% uptake uh, for at least the first vaccine, then mm-hmm. whatever is remaining essentially is the public policy failure. Because you always have to account for the fact that not everybody is going to be vaccinated, whether out of uh, hesitance, inability, or outright refusal. You have to, as a matter of fact, generally in, in political calculations, you have to assume that about one third of the population are just assholes. Yeah. Right? So whatever they, public policy yeah. uh, prescription that you make, that uh, about a third of people are going to refuse to adopt it. So the fact that only 15% either refuse to or haven't been able to adopt that public policy measure tells you that it's mostly been a a receptive public that are doing what they're supposed to do. And the remaining 15%, if the difference between uh, you essentially uh, eliminating the contagious threat, the difference between um, an uptake high enough to eliminate the threat and the current uptake is separated only by... Uh, that 15%, and it tells you that your public policy is essentially a failure. Mm-hmm. Well, but and that's the thing is they can, it's sort of like a, a, a feedback loop because they can say, well, our public is not a failure because our public policy was to shunt all of uh, the responsibility for vaccine, vaccinating our way out of the pandemic to a personal responsibility. So they're saying, well, we didn't fa- our, we didn't have a public policy failure. These people are just assholes, and they're being selfish. We didn't fail. They're just the we, approach. yeah, yeah. The liberal approach is always to take what is uh, essentially a, a, an institutional and structural failure or failure in the way that society is organized in the first place, and then uh, you know shunt the 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 um, responsibility for fixing that down to the individual. So you know it's uh, the this pandemic would be over, but y'all can't stay inside. This pandemic would be over, but y'all couldn't not go on vacation. You couldn't fly to see your deceased or you couldn't fly to mm-hmm. your deceased relatives or whatever the hell. And it's like, there is no, there is no scenario, which I think could possibly be planned for where two plus years, people are expected to stay indoors and do nothing um, while life happens around them. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I remember when uh, the, the, uh, the epidemic was uh, beginning in, in the, uh, the Wuhan region of China. And this was towards the end of 2019. When they had the lockdowns, people weren't allowed to go outside. Stores were closed. Uh, essentially, if you were outdoors, 
um, without good reason to be outdoors. Uh, people were being fined, possibly taken into custody. You know, they, they were essentially saying that the Chinese were like locking their citizens indoors to die. The one ended up happening from that. Well, and, and I, I keep I keep going over this and people think that I'm, you know, I think that China is like a utopia and I absolutely don't. But the difference is where it comes to marshalling the resources of the public sector to uh, to wipe out a potential threat to the social order. Um, I don't know that any any developed I, I hate using that phrase, but I don't know that any nation is able to do it as efficiently and as quickly as China does. And what you ended up seeing happening, you know, less than a year after the pandemic was announced in Wuhan in the first place is that people were able to go outdoors and attend baseball games or able to attend mm-hmm. dance parties, et cetera. And any subsequent waves of infection that have happened after that, uh, they've dealt with it with targeted lockdowns. And they've also had a high uptake on vaccine delivery. Now, you don't see, um, you know, the uh, the people's uh, the people's army going door to door, knocking on people's doors and checking their names against the register of people who've been vaccinated or not. Certain cities have enacted, uh, I guess, like the equivalent of vaccine passports or have affected mandates. But there is not a national policy for vaccine mandates. There's not even uh, like uh, like provincial policies for vaccine mandates. Mm-hmm. It's been down to the municipal level. So I, I, the difference is there is a much higher degree of the public purse, that is uh, public funds, being used towards helping out actual working people rather than handing the money over to uh, large corporations and hoping that the benefits trickle down. So as far as things like making sure that people can stay indoors by covering their rent, making sure that small businesses can stay open rather than simply letting them dry up and blow away and then their business accruing to larger big box retail stores, by offering low interest loans or no interest loans, and in many cases offering subsidies to small businesses that were affected by the pandemic, uh, opening pop-up hospitals and mobile hospital facilities, mobile care facilities. The fact that anybody who has been infected with the virus doesn't stay indoors in their own home, but in many regions, people are able to go to a uh, a hastily erected pop-up facility where they get access to 24-7 observation and medical care um, that they are being attended to by nurses, et cetera, that they've had food deliveries. I mean, there's just like a number of resources that China has marshaled to make sure that the, uh, the the virus stays under control. And these are things that we're not even looking at that have never no. been on the table in the first place. And then we ask ourselves, well, why is their, uh, their death rate so low? And whether you want to say that 5,000 is a believable number or not, I think it's completely immaterial because we know mm-hmm. that whatever number – uh, they have it has like it by necessity has to be less than other nations because they've simply taken the kinds of precautions and measures that we have never been willing to take. I mean, it, here's the, here's the thing: if the there's some people are saying it's like that they they must be in the like pointing up they must be in the millions dead. If you were a resident of China and you were going through all of these so-called draconian measures. To, to fight the, the virus, and you were still seeing uh, like a, a, a millions of your countrymen dead. I don't think the Chinese Communist Party would too long. I think they would have a problem on their on their hands. Like the if other, the, it's been said many times, and, and our friend Ian Goodrum has said the same thing. Is that people? I think I'm probably stealing that directly from Ian. Now that you mention it, yeah, yeah, yeah. People act as if uh, Chinese people are just like docile and brainwashed people. If you're governing for a country of 1.3 billion, 
and you let something like the pandemic rage out of control, uh, that bodies are piling up, that uh, people aren't able to have their basic needs met, et cetera, what you have is another revolution on your hands, right? So it's not as if like, hey, this is, excuse me, this is the same country where uh, when labor negotiations fail, people just take their bosses hostage and then don't face, and then don't face criminal charges afterwards once that's been settled. So if, if that's if that's as far as they'll go with labor negotiations, I can't even imagine what kind of problems the government would have on their hands if they failed to respond adequately to the pandemic. Mm-hmm. It's like it, it's so what I like people. I think it's just because it's hard to wrap your hand, your head around how big a billion people is. But you kind of have to if you're going to like be the government of that many people you got to do some shit to keep them happy and actually seem like you're a competent government for whatever you want to like criticize them for mm-hmm. uh if they're going to do if they're doing those measures they, it's probably because they're actually working whether or not people you want to say that they're humane or they're draconian or whatever if they're they also might work like three years into this I feel uh, less aghast when I see that uh, clip of like the boards getting nailed over someone's door. It's like, what? G- give me four <laughs> years, and I might be like, I might be drilling it. Might be there yourself. Yeah. 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 No, I totally get that. But you know, I mean, I guess the uh, only time will tell uh, how <laughs> the, uh, the the Quebec response and what their their new measures, whether they're actually workable or not. Um, I'm. I'm. I'm going to reserve my opinions and judgment until people start becoming affected by this until the uh until the uh, the, the 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 measure passes um mm-hmm. something else that we uh, i wanted to uh, go over with you today is uh did you know that the cbc is making it completely unreasonable for a white employee to remain uh to remain employed there like white mm-hmm. people are having white people are having the worst fucking time at cbc right now apparently they can't say anything like no, we can't. Any, we, uh, any item of any item of import, anything that you want to talk about in Canadian news, anything that's of like importance to the public, any political developments whatsoever, you have to put that on a back seat to, according to one employee or former employee, um, make sure that there is coverage of events and happenings with regards to the Filipino non-binary community. Apparently, mm-hmm. the Filipino non-binary community exercises more uh, news organizing and development power than the rest of the country combined. Yeah, it was very interesting. And yeah, yes, it's it's making it so it's so woke, and so just just beholden to extremist lefties that they can't report on the hard hitting subjects of like tips from financial gurus or the funnest things to do in Whistler this weekend. Like we're we're losing out on such juicy meaty uh, journalistic uh, endeavors, and it, it it hurts my soul. But that was the funny thing with the the example you give about the uh, uh, was it Filipino uh, gender issues or something? Because she gives that's correct. yeah yeah she so she gives that example of one of the things because that is uh, an actual story. If you search it, you'll find it. It's a thing they reported on, and she says, but they're not reporting on the substantial issues affecting those communities. You may well, okay. So she doesn't here's... say. Well, so when the when the article from her Substack dropped, uh, this was on the third of January. I mean, not only did Canadian media uh, just go absolutely ablaze with it, and you saw all the usual suspects. You saw like the Jonathan Kays, the Andrew Cons, like the uh, you know, like and and a lot of people that I didn't even necessarily expect um, that were 
saying like absolutely it's great that you're speaking out on this finally even aaron o'toole the leader of the canadian conservative party or the conservative party of canada uh said that he would like to have a conversation with tara henley so i'll just i'll read some excerpts from it right now Mm -hmm. uh she begins for months now i've been getting complaints about the canadian broadcasting corporation where i've worked as a tv and radio producer and occasional on-air columnist for much of the past decade People want to know why, for example, non-binary Filipinos concerned about a lack of LGBT LGBT terms in Tagalog is an editorial priority for the CBC when issues of broad concern go unreported. Or why our pop culture radio show's coverage of the Dave Chappelle Netflix special failed to include any of the legions of fans or comics that did not find it offensive. Or why exactly taxpayers should be funding articles that scold Canadians for using words such as brainstorm and lame. Everyone asks the same thing. What is going on at the CBC? When I started at the National Public Broadcaster in 2013, the network produced some of the best journalism in the country. By the time I resigned last month, it embodied some of the worst trends in mainstream media. In a short period of time, the CBC went from being a trusted source of news to turning out clickbait that reads like a parody of the student press. Which, by the way, hey, is hey, yeah, I, to... I was like, come on. I, we take yeah. student press takes themselves they 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 put out good work fuck you lady yeah yeah i mean you know uh the canada files is an example of student press it's the canada files is run by ryerson students and it's gotten mm-hmm. you know gotten some heavy hitters to write for them you know eve angler arnold august have made contributions to the canada files uh and they're doing i think um more extensive work on canada's malfeasance abroad than most mainstream news organizations um, those of us on the inside who know just how swiftly and dramatically the politics of the public broadcaster have shifted. It used to be that I was one of the furthest. To, this always happens. They always talk about mm-hmm. I. I didn't leave the left. The left left me. It's always yeah, that bullshit. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. okay, okay, but who on the left fucking knows you? Who who where where on the left were you? What organizations were you organizing with? What what were you doing to further the cause of the quote unquote left? What you're saying. And this is actually the same thing that Lindsay Shepard said. Remember when Lindsay Shepard was like, it's, you know, it I, feels, I identify yeah. as a left, even though she was like on this like transphobic screed, and that's how she ended up blowing up. This is what they always do: this they burn their bridges to fuel their careers as uh, you know anti cancel culture grifters. Um, but uh, Lindsay Shepard, after uh, running a an incredibly transphobic, um, uh, I believe it was a speech by Jordan Peterson in her classroom. And then being taken the task for it by the professor and I believe the assistant dean of the department uh, releases this uh, this hastily uploaded YouTube video talking about how she is a leftist and then she would name like her leftist bona fide, i.e. she would eat organic foods mm-hmm. and recycle. So it's like, yeah. are you going to start throwing your Red Bull cans directly into the trash because of this now? Because people are mad at you? Anyway, um, it used to be that I was... It's well. Here's, Sorry, what I was going to say was, is I I was like, did she get this as a form letter from Barry Weiss? Because it just feels yeah, like this is. It's yeah. just. It's. It's. Barry the, it's, Weiss retweeted it, and, and yeah. Jonathan did say, like, you know, well, you know, join the Barry Weisses of the world. He made direct reference to Barry Weiss, and this is what they do. It's almost like um. It's a very like rogue, a, like once, sort of. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. It's 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 a it's a very performance those people you leave your sort of mainstream institution you make a big stink about it about how the left and the wokies have taken over and you just you can't do real news and real journalism at this institution anymore so you to go your own way and that's why everyone needs to subscribe to my Substack called lean out which is so fucking funny so i don't know if you've played the original mega man 
But yes. you know how like Mega Man would like defeat Dr. Wily's robots and then get their powers? He gets a piece of it and then powers up. Yeah, so what they do is kind of what happens when Mega Man defeats Bomb Man and is able to like plant a bomb beneath himself and the explosion launches him over mm-hmm. obstacles. Mm-hmm. And that's essentially what these journalists do is that they blow up um, the the newsroom at wh- whichever place that they worked at. They, they, they throw a bomb and they use it to launch their substack or their yeah. column at the Post Millennial or at uh, uh, what the hell was their the one that Kay writes for. Um, you know which one I'm talking Gee. about. Wait, which one you cut out there? The the, the one that Jonathan like, K writes for. I forget the name of that publication. Oh God, is that you said Quillette already? Quillette, right? Quillette, yeah, yeah, Quillette. yeah. yeah that, that's, that's essentially what they do in order to launch their Substack or their column at the Post Millennial or Quillette or wherever. They essentially have to like blow up their old newsroom, um, mm-hmm. which was actually which was actually doing a rocket a... jump out of the newsroom. <laughs> exactly. Um, do you remember? Uh, uh, Jason Blair, this columnist for the New York Times, uh, who was uh, found to have plagiarized work, and yes. uh, he wrote a book. He wrote a book called "Burning Down My Master's House," and I'm like, I, I, I'm pretty sure I would, I would call him the pioneer of this tactic, which is that you do something incredibly egregious, you either leave in ignominy or you get fired. And then you use that as a tactic to launch your next vex- your next venture. Yeah, because it, it's yeah. sort of like it's because I know what he's doing with that with the title. Because it's like, oh well, I'm burning down my master and I'm like liberating myself. But really, what it's what it, he's he's more admitting, I'm burning down my employer's like uh, trying to burn it down and use the light as like a stage. The, yeah, exactly. On me I, I to elevate the embers because this is the fuel for the next stage mm-hmm. of my career. Exactly. Yeah. All right, so um, uh, back to back to the article. Um, used to be that I was one of the furthest left in the newsroom, occasionally causing strain in story meetings with my views on issues like the housing crisis. I am now easily the most conservative. No, no explanation of what those views are. Just no, housing no idea crisis. how that could happen. Yeah, exactly. Everybody else has just like migrated to, and it's like so. If other people are like, if their political views are evolving, and you're essentially now the most reactionary person in the newsroom could there mm-hmm. possibly be something about your points of view that have you be or perhaps yeah. like yeah. your your sclerotic views your inflexibility has kept you in that position or you know like and this is this is essentially like the uh the um you know like the 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 siren song uh for every reactionary it's always that i i i was a leftist and i and then i grew up but everybody else refused mm-hmm. to. And this new generation yeah. of journalists, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, let me... Because it's... it's what, uh, yeah, sorry, yeah, go, go. Yeah, yeah, let, let, hold, hold it until we can actually get through this article. Um, I'm now easily the most conservative, frequently sparking tension by questioning identity politics. This happened in the span of about 18 months. My own politics did not change. To work at the CBC in the current climate is to embrace cognitive dissonance and to abandon journalistic integrity. It's to sign on enthusiastically to a radical political agenda that originated on Ivy League campuses in the United States and spread, please stick a pin in that one, and spread through American social media platforms that monetize outrage and stoke societal divisions. It's to pretend that the woke worldview is near universal, even if it is far from popular with those you know and speak to in interview and read. To work at the CBC is now to accept the idea that race is the most significant thing about a person. And that some races are more relevant to the public conversation than others. Stick a pin in that one. Pin in that one, yeah. (laughs) 
It is in my newsroom to fill out racial profile forms for every guest you book to actively book more of those people of some races and less of others. Please stick a pen in that one. Yeah. To work at the CBC is to submit job interviews that are not about qualifications or experience, but instead de to demand the parroting of orthodoxies, the demonstration of fealty to dogma. It's to become less adversarial to government and corporations and more hostile to ordinary people with ideas that Twitter doesn't like. It's to endlessly document microaggressions, but pay little attention to evictions, to spotlight companies' political attitudes, platitudes, but have little interest in wages or working conditions. It is to allow sweeping societal changes like lockdowns, vaccine mandates, and school closures to roll out with little debate. To see billionaires amass extraordinary wealth and bureaucrats amass enormous power with little scrutiny. And to watch the most vulnerable among us die of drug overdoses with little comment. It's to consent to the idea that a growing list of subjects You're are off the table. Please, yeah, please do. Growing list of subjects are off the table. That dialogue itself can be harmful. That the big issues of our time are all already settled. It is to capitulate to certainty, to shut down critical thinking, to stamp out curiosity, to keep one's mouth shut, to not ask questions, to not rock the boat. This, while the whole world... And I will look down and whisper, no. Journalism... <laughs> um, how could good journalism possibly be done under such conditions? How could any of this possibly be healthy for society? All of this raises larger questions about the direction that North America is headed. Questions about this new moment we're living through and its impact on the body politic, on class divisions and economic equality, on education, on mental health, on literature and comedy, on science, liberalism, and democracy. Those questions keep me up at night. I can no longer push them down. I will no longer hold them back. This substack is a this substack in an attempt to find some answers. So uh, I'm not going to go into the rest because then it, it basically gets it's, into yeah, like it's her own self-promotion. It's a pitch. I don't, I don't need to, yeah, exactly. I don't need to get into all that. But I mean, okay, let's let's. Where, where did we put the first pin? Because oh, I got uh, making my head spin. The first one I put a pin in. It was like because I just re it's like I where she's saying didn't change. Everyone else changed around me, and you were sort of saying, but it's like you by your own uh, admission, you started in 2013. And brace yourself, everybody. This is going to hurt. But that was almost a decade ago. Right. So if you haven't changed any of your ideas in almost if, a decade, that may be a problem. Any... Have there been any politically relevant developments that have happened in the last decade that might have caused some people to rethink their views? Any at all? Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Any? Oh, no. Mueller? Oh, Mueller? I haven't, I haven't heard of any. You know? I, certainly, I certainly didn't end up becoming a communist because of any of that. No, no, sir. You know? Yeah. Uh, but, uh, where, I was, where I was a decade ago and where I still am now is that I am a dyed-in-the-wool liberal supporter that is very happy to go out to luncheons with the Neighborhood Writing Association and talk about how to uh, solve all of Canada's problems while being willing to do absolutely nothing about them. That's exactly yeah. where I was in 2013. That's Taking pictures with Trudeau and a Trudeau. Taking pictures with Trudeau and a Trilby hat, you know, uh, volunteering for for his campaign, mm -hmm. uh, doing phone banking. And that's that's my that's my contribution to the political discourse and to political praxis. Yeah. I did the phone banking in university. Cause it was like, I was in Ottawa and I was like, Hey, there's an election. This is exciting. But it's when, and, I was like, and I'm not ashamed of any of this. Like people always say that like, Oh, there's pictures of, of uh, Q going around uh, that uh, he's, he's got pictures with Trudeau. I'm like, there's a lot more embarrassing pictures of me with politicians because again, like I was a liberal, yeah. you know, uh, up until around 2014 and uh, when when you kind of grow up in that milieu, especially like if you're a member of the black community in Toronto, where um, 
between the liberals and the conservatives is basically like they've got for the most part a duopoly and if you're if you have relatives that live in the public sector you might have some ndp leanings but if you're not a public sector worker you don't necessarily have a reason to vote for them so like that that is essentially like the oxygen in which we are cultivated uh, like that's that's the political oxygen the idea that anybody um like ha- like has views that they were born into and maintain them over a period of time is evidence of one of two things. Either you were lucky enough to be born into a family that already had good politics um, and had very good reasons to have those good politics, or um, you're lying. Like, that's pretty much it, right? Yeah. So I, that all being said, sorry, we're, we're, we, there was a few points that I wanted to go back to, and I don't want to read this all over again to... Yeah, well, I know I, I wrote, I got pinned. Up. So the next one was the, it was the, um, the Ivy League. So it is assigned enthusiastically to a radical political agenda oh that originated God. on First Ivy all, League campuses. It's critical race theory. Has anyone, I just need to know this. Do do any of these people attend lectures or conferences from Ivy League institutions? Like, have you ever actually sit, sat in on like a Zoom lecture or a Zoom conference or panel of any kind from like Harvard, Yale, Princeton? Stanford, etc. Have you done that? It is no. the most garbage, fucking neoliberal bullshit you will ever hear in your life. Like, if you if you want to hear the Chicago School uh, with like a sprinkling of um, intersectional parsley, mm-hmm. attend attend like a Harvard lecture. I, I would say that like one of Harvard's best accomplishments was getting Cornell West because. Having having somebody like a Cornell West or having a Kimberly Crenshaw, having a oh my god, I, another name has just like flown out of my head the moment I was about to say it. Um, the originator of critical race theory. It'll come back to me in a second. But anyway, you know, having having uh, these people on their roster uh, gives them the credit for being able to say, yeah, we were able to help develop these uh, philosophical points of view uh, if we weren't. Uh, if they weren't developed like inside of our classrooms and inside of our lecture halls, uh, inside of our faculty lounges, we were able to incubate them once they had already been developed. And that's just not the way that any, uh, any of that works. What happens? Are you is thinking of have... uh, Sandra Harding? No, 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 no. Well, um, it'll, it'll come back to me. But I, no, I, but if you actually like listen in on literally like any any like if they're talking about like uh you know geopolitical developments if they're talking about u.s domestic policy if they're talking about society and culture in, in general it's an incredibly like narrow and liberal-minded point uh, set of views and un- like underneath all of it and i've heard like i've attended several of these lectures i've watched many of them after the fact and and what it all is is like finding the the most correct way to sell capitalism without actually saying that we love capitalism, if that makes any sense. It's mm-hmm. not about like tearing down systems and structures, but they're not talking about like the root structure out of all this. What they're talking about is the structures of discrimination that are natural byproducts of capitalism, but finding ways to replace them with a kinder and gentler version, which, I mean, obviously this is, this has worked out for, well for us so far, right? Like, you know, capitalists have been able to eliminate inequalities, to stamp out discrimination, to, uh, to essentially like put white supremacy on the retreat. All of these things have been possible through capitalism. Are we not, are, are we, are we missing something? It's uh, so yeah, the idea that any, any of the stuff is developed on Ivy League campuses is absolute horseshit. This stuff gets developed in communities. It gets developed by 
organizers. It gets developed by activists. It gets developed by laborers. It gets developed by people who are working where they are at, who are able to analyze their own life experiences, their own material conditions. It's not up to Ivy League academics to prove any of these uh, like social realities exist. All they're doing is observing and then applying them to some sort of a theory. And many of those times, the theories are full of holes. Many of the times, the theories don't address all of the social concerns that they're intended to or that people believe that they do. I did mention intersectional parsley a second ago as a joke, but one of the, the problems with intersectionality is that it is not it is not and was never intended to be a theory of everything. So there are many things that intersectionality misses. As Dr. Tom McCurry talks about often, it is impossible to find a, yes, Derek Bell. Uh, somebody in the chat said Derek Bell, and that's exactly who I was, I was looking to mention. There it I was is. about to say Robert Staples, and that's just not who the fuck I was talking about. It was, it was Derek Cash Bell. out, both shot. Shout out. Uh, Thank you for the. Appreciate that. Um, yeah, so uh, yeah, Dr. Tommy Curry talks about uh, there not being any academic papers um, that examine uh, the rape of black males through an intersectional lens. They don't exist. Uh, people keep saying, well, you know, if uh, if you listened to black women or read black feminist intersectional um, scholarly work, you'd find answers to these questions about analyzing uh, black maleness. But that's not true. Like they, they simply don't exist where it comes to discussing certain traumas um, regarding black maleness through an intersectional lens. They're not there. Uh, so, no, they were not developed by the Ivy League or within the Ivy League. Oftentimes they, they're developed at a community level and then find their way up to the Ivy League. Um, ne- oh, sorry, what was the next item here? Sorry, you dropped out there for a second. What did you say? Oh, what, yeah, what was the... Uh, the oh, next, yeah, the next one, know. it was basically literally the next uh, uh, paragraph. To work at the CBC now is to accept the idea that race is the most significant thing about a oh person and that some races yeah. are more relevant to the public conversation than others. Uh, fill out racial profile forms for a guest you book to actively book more people of some races and less of others. Right. Weird that she doesn't give examples of those. Oh, who are the never, ones? No, are... there's never any examples of that. And to, and mm-hmm. frankly, like that's a, that's a James Lindsayism is to yeah. make a pronouncement like that, to say that uh, critical race theory, uh, uh, critical race theory uh, proposes that the most important thing about a person or the most uh, distinctive feature in society is race. And that is simply not what critical race theory does. That has never been what CBC mm-hmm. does. I, I would say that to the extent that CBC e- even concerns itself with race, CBC has more often been concerned with the politics of representation where she does actually touch on this, where she talks about like, yeah, uh, they're looking to interview guests about particular topics. They do have to find out what their um, their 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 uh, ethnic identification yeah. is or self identification. Well, there's a very good reason for that because what's happened uh, often, and you'll see this with uh, this was on this was a matter of uh, import for like power and politics for the national, etc. Is that you would have a panel on in uh, indigenous policy in Canada, you would have a panel on idle no more. You would have mm-hmm. a panel on police brutality in Canada's major cities. You would have a panel on systemic discrimination, etc. And it would be a group of white people, not of indigenous background, not of any uh, relation to uh, the the black Canadian or to like uh, the uh, uh, the South Asian Canadian community. None of that whatsoever. None of those self-identifications. It was a group of white people expounding among themselves what is to be done about these multicultural problems in the country. And, th- I mean, if you're going to interview a guest, for example, about racism against black people, 
and then the guest that you book is Robin Winks, then you've got a problem. Uh, Robin Winks uh, wrote what many people had for many years believed to be the definitive book on the story of black people in Canada. It was literally called Blacks in Canada uh, and was able to like step in. And, and he was basically like Canada's Tim Wise before Tim Wise was around. Um, yeah. yeah. So like, yeah, there are reasons that you're going to ask the guests um, how they ethnically self-identify, especially if you're talking about an issue that concerns Oh, 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 oh. Uh, yeah. Did I Google the right person? Please tell me this is the right guy. This white dude? No. Oh, Robin that would be B. so Winks? funny. Yeah, yeah, Robin Winks is a white dude. <laughs> but yeah. he's a he's one hell of a white dude too. <laughs> he's yeah, not so, just he's not. Just, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. So, um, sorry. Where were we next? Oh yeah, yeah. So, sorry, I've just lost my place in the article. Oh yeah, sorry, out, like, but it was it was just talking about some races, and which is very clearly just. They were like, oh, all of our panels are of white people. Can we get some non-white people on these panels? And uh, if I, I don't know. This is the hardest thing to accomplish at CBC is to find mm-hmm. uh, qualified white people to have panels with. They, I mean, they've looked high and low. They have turned yeah. the earth upside down. They have combed the forest and the trees. They have combed the, the rivers and the seas for white people to put on panels and just can't find them anywhere. Never happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, and like there, if you, I listened to the whole Canada Land episode where uh, Jesse interviews her, and I felt bad for Jesse because he was he wanted her to have some some sort of something of substance that he could sink his teeth I was into. And he was say, like, do we want to do we want to recap some highlights out of that one, or do we want to like uh, like skim past it? Because I do want to I do want to like address uh, the other items, right? Uh, do you have like uh, timestamps from it that you wanted to pull up? I do not have timestamps. I just have the uh, a link to their their conversation, but we don't have to play the entire yeah, thing. Yeah, it's 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 quite long, but it like the one yeah, he it's brought like up. Minutes. Yeah, the thing she's talking about with the little racial profile forms. Mm-hmm. What they found out was it was I think it was an initiative from a reporter at Global News that CBC and CTV and other news were were, were participating in. They basically do like a social study of like put on these panels yeah you know you know the 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 reason that uh a reporter at global news brought that initiative forward was because uh we at the board of the canadian association of black journalists got together and brainstormed it um in 2020 and that reporter with the support of the other board members as well as uh, many other journalists of color brought that initiative forward to their management and they said yes we probably should do that Right. So it's not as though this is like a unilateral policy that was imposed by management from the top down. Like a bunch of executives thought about this in their boardroom. No, it was it was black journalists that put their heads together Mm -hmm. because I was in that conversation. And uh, one of one of us was brave enough to go to management and propose that idea. And they were ecstatic about it. They said we should have been doing this a very long time ago. And obviously, was the there are people was in the, the data collection secret? This. Yes. Not only oh, if, they're, okay. if they're collecting any of the data at all. And the problem with CBC, I've actually filed several Freedom of Information requests with CBC to find out uh, what their level of diversity is, both in front of and behind the camera. Because what they'll do is they'll release an aggregate study that talks about how many, um, like how diverse CBC is. But that's not a matter of how diverse the newsroom is, how diverse the on-air staff is, how diverse the production staff is, or any of that. It's just everybody from, like, the mailroom clerk to the evening anchors mm-hmm. is included in this study. But that's not what people are necessarily asking. No. What they're asking is, how diverse is your on-air talent? 
that's a question that even NPR in the United States will answer. They will yeah. disaggregate that information, but CBC refuses, even though they have a diversity mandate that they're yeah. supposed to abide by, they refuse to release that information. Oh no! But, but my question was when they when the people when the people were supposed to be uh, like getting this information, were they allowed to ask the people coming on air what that like what the actual answer or like what their their background was, or were they supposed to? Because that was one of her I, I criticisms. Can't, I, can't speak that, to, I can't speak to CBC oh. policies. I don't know. You'd have to ask. Oh, okay. You know, maybe we can we can bring somebody on like Adrian Harewood um, or like Errol Nazareth who could answer that question. I couldn't answer because mm-hmm. I don't work with CBC. Yeah, because that's what her criticism was that, like, they weren't allowed to ask the guests or the on-air talent what their background was, so they had to be, like, guessing it. And, sort of, and I'm like, I don't I think that was more you problem where you felt yeah, you were yeah. comfortable yeah, asking. You were, yeah, you were, you were deeply uncomfortable with asking that question, so you had to make a guess in your own head and then not tell anybody. Um, yeah. So, yeah, this idea that, uh, um, you know, to work at CBC is to submit to job interviews that are not about qualifications or experience, you, like – you got to be fucking kidding. So this is the this is the um, the affirmative action argument all over again. Is to say that there are like you know people that are highly unqualified to work in this organization, and the only reason that they're there is because of affirmative action, right? That like affirmative action um, dilutes your dilutes your your uh, your worker pool, or at least dilutes the quality of them because you're not getting the best candidates in. You're getting the candidates that are there to fill a quota. There is no such thing as a quota. Uh, there is no such thing as, uh, you know, like uh, um, uh, diversity rules. You have to have such and such amount of employees working at your publicly funded organization, your crown corporation. No such thing exists for any crown corporation in this country at mm-hmm. all. But they would, you know, a lot of these alarmists would have you believe that is what happens. And this is what they, these are the lies they sit around and tell each other. And I, I could tell you that, like, when I was starting off in, in my journalism career, a lot of people were saying to me, Oh, you should apply at CBC or you should apply at, I mean, actually people thought that I got into McLean's for this very reason, but they would say like, oh, you should pitch to McLean's or you should pitch to the Globe and Mail and so on and so on because uh, you have an advantage being that you're black and it's easier for black people to get published or it's easier for black people to get hired. And I'm like, in what fucking universe do you live? Yeah. Where, where, where do you see like this plethora of black staff columnists working for these publications? Where do you see this plethora of black anchors working for these news news organizations. Please, I would love to know uh, because I haven't seen it yet. But uh, people tell themselves this because when they see any person that is not white um, working for a news organization, whether they're on air or uh, they are, their bylines are up, the immediate assumption is I can discount whatever it is that they're saying because they're simply not qualified to be there. This is how the like the quote unquote woke backlash or you know if you want to take it back to the 1990s the anti pc backlash they've always had a word for this the anti civil rights backlash the anti uh, abolition backlash what always happens is when there's a stride forward that's made for people that are not white there's always a white backlash to it in the belief that uh, society is becoming decadent because we've allowed these people to uh, to waltz into positions of public power without having the qualif- qualifications or the moral capital to hold those positions. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so like this idea it, that like anybody is going to a CBC job interview and then being asked to repeat, or, okay, repeat after me, black lives matter. Repeat, repeat after me, land back bitches. Like none of that have, ever happens. They, they had Tara yeah. Henley in the, like the, the, the editorial meeting, like Bart Simpson, just fucking <laughs> black lives matter. hundred on the chop. Yeah. We made, allowed to make another pitch. Yeah. Never, never it, happened. Um, no. To say that it's become less adversarial to government and corporations and more ha- more hostile to ordinary people with ideas that Twitter doesn't like. 
I don't even know what that means. Yeah. I, I, I really don't. I mean, frankly, like everybody on Twitter, whether you want to admit this or not, is a quote unquote normal person. It's just that our bizarre points of view flutter out of our heads a lot more easily on Twitter and other forms of social media than it does in face-to-face conversations. But this idea that uh, the CBC is becoming less adversarial to government and large corporations, I find to be absolute bullshit. Mm-hmm. The CBC has never been adversarial to government and large corporations. It may in some yeah. ways like affect an, uh, an anti-establishment uh, position, but then continue to reify uh, those government positions in the first place. For example, uh, when uh, Stephen Harper or when the Harper government was finally like getting raked over the coals for its anti-immigrant policy, that was after um, that Syrian child, Al- Alan Kurdi, washed up on a beach. Um, and uh, it, it turns out that his father was in that raft in the first place because Canada had denied his, uh, his refugee application. Uh, when the news media finally turned against Harper, they acted as if there was this like this opening of Canadian benevolence towards refugees. Like we'd lost our way during the Harper years, but we're finally finding our way back to it. And then a year later, we're having the exact same conversation. Are we letting too many refugees in because of the, uh, the, the debates that were happening around Haitian refugees coming into uh, Canada through uh, the Roxham road mm-hmm. entrance. Right. So we ended up right back at the exact same positions that we were, but we didn't have the benefit of a Stephen Harper to give cover to those points of view or to act as the bete noir for news to position itself against, we simply adopted what the Liberal Party line is, which was in itself also anti-immigrant, but with a veneer of intersectional parsley to it, if you want to call it that. Mm-hmm. And a veneer of uh, shoe polish sometimes. Yeah. Endlessly <laughs> um, document microaggressions, but pay little attention to evictions, to spotlight mm-hmm. political platitudes, have little interest in wages or working conditions. Again, like this isn't a problem with CBC paying attention more to racial and uh, like uh, uh, identity matters than to material conditions. This has always been the mo. Yeah, this is this has been what what company did you think you joined in twenty thirteen? I would like to know which news media when you're working for Strombo. Yeah, which which legacy media organization has ever? I mean, the Toronto Star ostensibly has its Atkinson principles, but in the last I would say like 12 years. Have you seen the star concert like concertedly exercising those principles in any way that actually affects people's working conditions that afflicts the powerful and uh, or um, uh, you know afflicts the comfortable and comforts the afflicted? Have you seen that? Because I sure as hell haven't. Mm-hmm. And, right, it, the, and... Most, the most adversarial that I can say that they've gotten is uh, uh, their. I guess like their uh, their their orgy of headlines around uh, Rob Ford's mayorship in the last uh, eighteen months. But aside from that, I I can't say with any certainty that I've ever seen that happen. And I guess maybe like I'm a little bit John Deese because um, my friend Desmond Cole essentially got constructively dismissed from the star because yeah. he was making a little bit too noise too much noise <clears throat> and engaging in a little bit too much public activism regarding police brutality and uh, immigration policy than they were comfortable with. But I, I, I simply can't remember as a um, as an organizational policy when they've ever done that. Who wrote that hit piece on them? Like the, it was like last year. Oh, that was uh, it. yeah, that was uh, uh, Royce and James. Which you know, I guess it doesn't surprise me because a lot of the people that uh, Desmond had put on blast, like had put on the Summer Jam screen, uh, <laughs> such as for example, um, 
Oh my god, the name of that again, names are just flying out of my head left, right, and center. Donald McLeod, Justice Donald McLeod. Um, you know, he's <laughs> the Seventh day Adventist, right? Uh, and uh, people like um, the senator that ended up having to resign in disgrace, uh, Don Meredith, you know, he, he's also a, uh, a Seventh day Adventist uh, preacher. Uh, many of the like the high profile black Canadians. Uh, that end up getting into positions of political, um, legal, and business power, like corporate power, are part of the Jamaican Seventh-day Adventist community. And what happens oftentimes when you criticize them is that the entire Seventh-day Adventist community rallies themselves around these figures, no matter how much harm they're doing to the community and no matter how uh, big of a grift that they're running, and basically says, well, you know, nobody's perfect. And anybody who actually does criticize them publicly ends up getting excoriated and being labeled an enemy of the community when really it's not a matter of whether or not the black community is being helped or harmed by names being named. It's a matter of whether the Seventh-day Adventist community feels that one of their own is under attack. So what James did was essentially write the piece that I think many in Canadian media have wanted to write about Desmond, which is to say, well, black people in this city and in this Mm -hmm. country don't necessarily agree with Desmond. But what made that Royce and James article extra special was that he would say, he would do the, oh, many are saying, many believe. Yeah, it was, many, the, the, yeah. The, oh, yeah, it was the black, or the, the real black community that I, I've spoken to. They, they exactly. have, they, they, he's this troublemaker Cole. Or and nobody his, ever ends up actually getting named. Like he's never willing to talk about who these people are that are saying it and what percentages of the community they make up. Can they, can they be thought of speaking for anywhere near the majority or even a significant mm-hmm. minority? never happens you just simply couch your personal assertions in that many have said and expect that to hold scrutiny yeah it was it was like i like it was very petty like you just tell it was it felt like a like a gossip like sort of and just a takedown sort of column and it was sort of and for for all of the people uh throwing it around it was you thought it would be there'd be something like oh he actually did something bad no it's just like right. he's a troublemaker right right and he's mean to, to these people yeah, so, I mean, that, that all being said, like, you know, I don't want to dwell too much on that, but what I will say is that the uh, the Tara Henley substack was just, I mean, I I don't know how, I, I have no idea how anybody could take it seriously. I really don't. Um, uh, but uh, you, well, you the, could ask one of the people who took it seriously on your uh, your your next podcast tomorrow. I would be very happy to have a conversation. I would, have a, I would be very happy to have a conversation with Glenn. As a matter of fact, Glenn and I had a conversation about, uh, her piece and you know his his point of view on it um, when he interviewed her. I actually haven't sat through the whole interview that he had with her, um, but I, I am going to talk to him about that because I I found I think he took it way easier on her than he would have uh, mm-hmm. if it had been let's say like eighteen to twenty four months ago. I think it's, yeah he took it very easy on her, and I know for a fact that that conversation wouldn't have happened if it was on our joint podcast. Like if, if Tara Hentley joined us on unredacted uh, the line of questioning that she got and the conversation that was had uh, would not have been anywhere near the same. So yeah, we're, yeah. we're going we're to chat about that tomorrow. She absolutely crumbled just like from Jesse Brown's like, and he, he was like, yeah. he wasn't trying to get her to crumble. He was like, give me something. I want it. Give me, give me. And yeah. she just yeah, exactly. like, I got what nothing you for you. About? Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. I know. But that's, that's the way that it always goes. And the thing is like, mm-hmm. have you, have you looked at her over of work? Like, have you looked at her body of work? Um, yeah. 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 That's what well, so those like, were. That, the example, BC, what's the best, funnest thing to do with Whistler or like, 
uh, how to she get writing, out of She was writing articles debt. in conjunction with the uh, BC Ministry of Tourism. Is what she was mm-hmm. doing. She was writing like fluff art, like forgettable fluff articles. Like, she's you know, writing the kind of shit where it's like, oh, we're a twenty-eight page paper, and it's Sunday night. I need something yeah, to no, fill the thing, pages. There's nothing wrong with that. Like, people yeah. have to do that at every major publication. There are people who do travel writing, who do business writing, who do tourism writing, cultural writing, for every major publication in this country. There are people that have to do with like you know the you know the five greatest uh, underrated eats in downtown Toronto. Like somebody has mm-hmm. to do that, but you can't at the same time have that kind of career. Like uh, I'm 41 and I just paid off my sixty thousand dollar student or master student loan. Here's how. Or um, the most breathtaking uh, bike over under when it gets to the like the inheritance in that that piece. Yeah, right. I, I haven't even actually read the piece, but I you no. know I'm, I'm not going to doubt you that it's in there somewhere. But uh, like. You can't have that kind of a body of work and then claim that you were being muzzled at your workplace because what was it that you were trying to write that you were not able to write? What did they tell you? Hey, Tara, you know what? That sounds like a great idea, but unfortunately, we have to talk about uh, um, we have to talk about what's important to the non-binary non-binary Filipino community. And I keep coming back to this because she opened the fucking article with it as if mm-hmm. the non-binary Filipino community exercises such great political power in this country that the news organizations, legacy news organizations bend to their beck and call. Like, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's very much in vein of... Because uh, she tried you know, to weasel we, we out of to, it. Where she, yeah. yeah she it's tried to weasel out of it. Of, like, uh, Canadian government is going to criminalize us if we don't uh, use, utilize the proper nouns. You can be put in jail, which is essentially like uh, it's transphobic. Jordan Peterson shit. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a variation of that. So when I saw, like, okay, non-binary, LGBT, what the fuck are you talking about? And I was like, oh, you think about it for two seconds, like, oh, okay, she's just concerned that people are using their fucking pronouns. Yeah. Uh, you know, or that, that, that they're being, or they're reminding people, hey, those aren't my pronouns. Like, mm-hmm. that, that kind of stuff is what transphobes often sit around wringing their hands over, and it's never anything that actually happened. It's always, well, this could possibly happen. Mm-hmm. And she used that example, and like Jesse called her out on this one as well. And she was like, "Well, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be reporting on communities." And again, still can't what, give an exactly example of what yeah. those what are, things. What are, are you being turned down? Exactly. What Tara Henley, what do you know about that community? Meeting? Just name name three of their Period. best songs. Like, well, yeah. Name what three do you songs know at all. <laughs> I would exactly. I would like to know because I have. Um, I will say I have a variety of global channels available to me, and that's all I'm going to say about that. I would like to know what uh, Filipino pageant show that you were watching uh, that you'd be able to tell me the most popular cover songs and who won what pageant off the strength of those songs. I would very much like to know that. Can you tell me? All right. You know? Yeah. When we, when we inevitably have Tara Henley on the show, we can have that foundation. Mm-hmm. As as if she's ever going to accept her invitation. Oh no! Yeah, I'm sure she's she's lining up because I I mean it, it's she's done a couple and she was doing the whole search. She got she had Glenn and then she was on uh, she was on GBB like uh, GB News, the new like British like Sun News sort of offshoot that had like a, just yeah. a terrible. Um, it's so I think probably uh, Jesse gave her the most uh, uh, like aggressive interview okay. the rest yeah, yeah. were all just very like yeah. oh yes please say all the things that i want to hear well a lot of people were mad at jesse for inviting her on or i hate this word platforming her in the first place mm-hmm. which i think is i mean i think that that uh i think that that 
criticism is always inherently stupid because you don't you never know what exactly people are going to ask like uh, I, I come back to this one often a lot of people thought that the Slavoj Žižek Jordan Peterson debate was uh, platforming a transphobe and that it, there was going to be no benefit by having him up on stage and <laughs> having audiences paid. You're putting money into the pockets of a transphobe, which, okay, objectively, yes, this is true. However, I think the moment that Jordan Peterson got up on stage and was confronted with somebody that actually knew Marxist, Marxist history and historiography uh, and couldn't get away with meaningless platitudes and buzzwords, but actually had to defend his position from the standpoint of Marxist revolutionary history, he got exposed as a fraud. It's like, oh, yeah. this guy actually doesn't fucking know anything. He has, he still hasn't recovered from it. Literally furiously yeah. Googling on stage. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't think there. he's ever actually, really recovered from that. No, he hasn't. Um, the, no. uh, the, like, he's still taken seriously in certain quarters, and you're never going to have, like, you know, the, uh, the intellectual dark web or whoever. Um, even when their figures are publicly embarrassed, they still continue to boost them. So, I mean, that doesn't matter to me. But I think in mainstream parlance, like Peterson is now a fringe figure. Nobody takes him seriously. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think yeah, it, it was due to that debate where people realized, wait, this this guy actually doesn't really know shit about shit. Yeah. And his daughter is possibly in a video game trying to kill him. <laughs> I know. I, I think she is. she's sneaking fruits and vegetables on the side when he's no, not. I, I think she is actively trying to murder her father and absorb his powers. Yeah. Um, well, when she left him in a Russian gulag so she could go have like a tryst with some new age communist, it's like yeah. she's just rubbing salt in the wounds at this yeah. point. Yeah. Um, uh, the last uh, item that was on the list, and wow, we've actually been going for uh, more than ninety minutes. I was I was not even planning to uh, to hit ninety, but hey, we'll, we'll keep oh, yeah. going because I want to make sure we get through this one as well. But I'll let you I'll let you uh, I'll let you present this one, which is uh, David Pugliese's Latest another banger. Citizen. Oh my gosh, Pugliese just like drops dime after dime. This man cannot mm-hmm. miss. Yeah, so this is the new one from. Uh, get, at least they've gotten rid of the Northrop Grumman sponsor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Ottawa, the Ottawa citizen. The Ukraine. We oh, hold, hold up, hold up. So for listeners in the the call in room, the Ottawa citizen um, has a section in its national news oh, yeah. uh, vertical called Defense Watch, and Defense Watch used to have, like, if you click and you open the page, would have a little banner at the top saying, uh, this this uh, this page brought to you by Northrop Grumman. Yeah, I think as of, even at, because when we did Canuckcast, I think in December, it was still there, because I remember we, I, like, noticed it while we were reading. Um, yeah, so we're, it's, it, Pugliese is a goddamn FOIA god. And so now we're building these, like, we're, with a number of, like, it's not just, like, By the way, have, having, like, have, we, have we explained to the audience what Pugliese does? Like, okay, oh, so Pugliese yeah. has this awesome tactic that Stu told me about, and I was like, that's fucking amazing. David Pugliese will send in a Freedom of Information Act request uh, to, you know, obviously to, like, get information about a, um, a matter that has not been voluntarily released to the public so he can report on it say he'll he'll send in a request be like hey you know the all these like ukrainians you're training a bunch of them have like uh nazi insignias and they're doing like the fucking arm salute and they're goose stepping what's up with that and he'll do a player with that right but then what he'll do he he, what he'll do is he'll wait a couple of weeks and then send another four-year request 
about the response to his original FOIA request. So basically, he spins the block. Mm -hmm. He will send the original request, wait for them to start freaking out, and then send another FOIA request so he can get the like the the frantically uh, the frantically transmitted emails about his original FOIA request and report on that too. Okay. Any official or internal documents, communications, or uh, or uh, yeah, documents or communications thing is the big one. Because it's, I think under the FOIA laws, it's a lot harder to uh, redact a lot of those communications. So if he sends the FOIA, like, hey, what about uh, these Ukrainian guys doing the goose step? And they start immediately emailing, hey, delete all the photos from your Facebook from the party we went to with all the Ukrainian Nazis. It's much harder to redact that second bit. Right. It's, so, it's yeah, did you, want to, did you want to go through this uh, this latest development? Yeah, so I'll just I'll we'll just read through it. Um, so amid mounting tensions with Russia over Ukraine, Canada is making plans to build an ammunition factory in the latter country with help from a number of Ontario-based companies. Russian President Vladimir Putin has threatened a military response if NATO nations, including Canada, continue with unfriendly actions and their obviously aggressive stance concerning Ukraine. Russia is concerned NATO will bring neighboring Ukraine into the military alliance and has demanded guarantees that it won't happen. Since November warning that Russia could be planning a large-scale invasion of Ukraine. Ukraine, which has been fighting Russian-backed separatists since 2014, has been calling on Canada and other NATO countries to provide it with modern weaponry and equipment. Ukraine lacks a facility to produce small arms ammunition, has been lobbying Canada since 2017 for help in construction. The initiative is now being planned and involves a number of Ontario companies and the Canadian Commercial Corporation in Ottawa. CCC's support to Ukraine is currently at the exploratory stage, said Mukhtar uh, for the corporation. Canadian Commercial Corporation is a federal crown corporation that helps Canadian firms secure international contracts with governments. Uh, Ammunition factory proposal has taken a number of twists and turns over the past 12 months. In June, Waterbury Farrell of Brampton, Ontario announced it had joined with a newly created firm called GL Munitions based in Toronto to provide Ukraine with the ammunition. Write down down GL Munitions because that's probably going to come up later. Uh, facility. Waterbury Farrell stated it was working with the Canadian government through the Canadian Commercial Corporation to meet the goal. Also involved in the venture was Okroboronprom, uh, Ukraine's organization of defense firms. But GL Munitions has been dissolved, according to federal records. Andrew Leslie, a former liberal MP and retired Canadian Forces Lieutenant General, who was the director of the company, told the newspaper he was no longer associated with the venture. Not pro- Waterbury Farrell did not respond to request comments. November 5th, the, N- the CCC informed Ukrob Boron Prom that GL Munitions had changed its Ukro, corporate structure. Ukrob Boron Prom. Ukrob Boron Prom. Yeah. The founders of the corporation had indicated that these changes will expedite the process toward finalizing the creation of the small arms ammunition depot, the CCC letter noted. In the same letter, the CCC revealed that the existence of a new firm called Gold Leaf Munitions with the same address in Toronto as GL Munitions. Huh, GL Munitions, Gold Leaf Munitions. Uh, David Angus of the Capitol Hill Group in Ottawa is listed as the director of Gold Leaf Munitions, but did not respond to repeated requests for comment. Angus had been previously registered as a consultant for GL Munitions, according to the Federal Registry of Lobbyists. Ukraine once had a small arms ammunition production facility, but is located in an area now controlled by Russian-backed separatists. In December 2017, Government provide weapons to Ukraine, provided it demonstrated it was working to eliminate corruption at all levels of government. 
Ukraine is considered one of the most corrupt countries in the world, but its government has been trying to deal with the problem. The government, the, the super corrupt government has been trying to deal with the, the problem? Okay. Uh, Canada has already supplied some equipment to Ukraine, including mine clearing gear, helmets, tents, first aid kits, and bulletproof vests. The Winnipeg company has also provided sniper rifles. In response to Russia's backing of separatists in Peninsula in 2014, Canada sent troops to help train Ukraine's military. Canadian Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Joy, Jolie called on Russia on Friday to de-escalate Melanie and engage. Jolie. Melanie Jolie. Melanie uh, Jolie. To de-escalate and engage in meaningful dialogue. Any military incursions into Ukraine will have serious consequences, including coordinated sanctions. Ooh. Besides abandoning Ukraine, joining NATO, Putin has demanded that NATO scale back its troops and weapons in On Friday, Security General Jen Stoltenberg rejected any proposal that would stop the continuing expansion of the military lines or limit deployment of troops and weapons. U.S. President Joe Biden has also warned Putin that Russia will pay a terrible price for any invasion of Ukraine. Imagine if yeah. Putin was just putting like a bunch of like soldiers and shit in like Cuba. Cuba. How, imagine how, how, imagine how we'd Putin feel about was that. putting a bunch of soldiers on Greenland. Imagine that happened. Yeah. Right. Imagine yeah. like you know, uh, uh, like Portuguese fishing trawlers were carrying Russian soldiers. Imagine that had happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, imagine, imagine, uh, yeah, imagine Russia was um, on uh, you know spread out across. Uh, Micronesia and the uh, the South Pacific Islands, that there were military bases, like military installed. Imagine that was happening, and imagine just surrounding. That, imagine everything. that uh, the U.S. had a like was able to stake a claim on disputed territories between uh, Alaska and the Yukon Territory, and Russia was like, uh, actually, according to some shit that we just made up. That's United States-owned territory. So even though the majority of uh, people in this region uh, speak – oh, shoot. Uh, let me not get too much out of my bag here. I'm assuming that it's like, you know, some uh, – that is an Inuk language. But, you know, uh, that the, the majority of people that speak this language, even though that's the case, uh, America does have a minority of English speakers in this region. So, therefore, it belongs to the United States. Imagine, imagine <laughs> that was their official position. How do we react to that? Not be we we wouldn't like that. It's New, it's New, always going to be. Newfoundland was hoodwinked into joining Dominion, you know, and we and we're just trying to help them exercise their democratic rights. Imagine if Russia started Free Danny Williams. Quebec separatists. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Oh shit! Would never, that, I mean, would, that would be a terrifying alliance. The Quebecois the, and the Russian. The Quebecois, army? the Russians. Oh my god! <laughs> like this would be easily the most racist and yet powerfully compelling organization of uh of, of dissidents that the world has ever seen yeah their their, their cold resistance bonus is like out <laughs> off the chart oh my god imagine some like you know some like gray wolves from like northern quebec uh linking up with uh <laughs> linking up with the fictional vori visa coin like, imagine, imagine the the russian mob yeah and uh and, and, and the lou militia yeah no absolutely not but anyway say all this to say that like the, the tact that we've taken where it comes to Ukraine is this, this like Russophobic position that whatever it is that Russia's for, we have to reflexively be against. And anybody that opposes Russia must be an ally in our eyes. So therefore, um, funding, training, and developing like an arms cache or an ammo depot for these groups is fine. Just don't pay attention to what they say in Ukrainian or to what it is that their sympathizers in Canada 
are saying about ethnic minorities. Just try to overlook all that stuff and keep your eye on the ball, which is uh, containing Russia. Or the literal, like, SS uh, symbols on their fucking helmets that they've spray-painted on. Don't pay attention to Don't those. Don't worry about the fact that the magazine that they distribute has the the fucking uh, the Nazi Sonnenrad. Don't don't worry about that. That's just... that's Those are, like, cultural holdovers. It, you, you can't really understand Ukrainian culture unless you're part of Ukrainian culture, so... You know, don't 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 turn these people of culture into your costumes. Stop appropriating, yeah. Stu. Don't look at the Wikipedia names of any of the people on the statues. I uh, don't look at the Wikipedia entries for the OUN, which just so happens to be um, the organization that, or whose whose members helped found many of these Ukrainian Canadian organizations that have reached not only into uh, the broader business community and into, into the local community, but. Uh, all the way into our cabinet up to the deputy prime minister. Don't pay attention to none of that shit. I'm sure it means nothing. Uh, well, uh, Trudeau uh, was uh, speaking earlier today uh, about the uh, just about federal response to COVID, and he was asked about Ukraine. So do, do you want to let's yeah, see, yeah, if you let's wanna... take bets if he'll be asked about these things. It will be not that. Absolutely, go right ahead. All right, let's do it. What is happening? You can can you hear it right? I can hear it. The government make this small commitment to NATO's larger efforts in Eastern Europe. I had an outstanding conversation with uh, President Zelensky of Ukraine yesterday, uh, reiterated Canada's longstanding support and friendship uh, for Ukraine, uh, condemned in no uh, uncertain terms uh, the uh, Russian aggression and buildup of troops. Uh, we are all extremely concerned about that and are united uh, as uh, allies uh, around the world uh, in uh, calling on Russia to de-escalate and indicating that there will be significant consequences uh, in the form of sanctions if, uh, if, uh, if uh, further aggressive actions are taken by Russia. Um, we are uh, proud that Canada is leading a NATO mission in uh, the Baltic states, in Latvia. Uh, we are uh, part of Operation uh, Unifier on the ground in Ukraine, uh, training Ukraine soldiers. Uh, we will continue uh, to be there uh, to stand as part of our NATO allies uh, with our friends in the region. Last question in the room. That's Fraser Needham uh, from Ibkan National News. That was it. That's the uh, end of that clip. But it, it's just. Do you want to tell me what any of that actually meant? Uh, it means. Uh, it, You're muted, it's Stu. What, you muted on the stream. Uh, yeah. What it means. <laughs> what it means is exactly what Big Shiny takes there. Is we're we're gonna just keep uh, defending stuff and don't like it, this is all because of Russian aggression. Don't think about the fact that we're on Russia's border. They live there. Um. Because I, they keep the the thing where it's like, oh, Russia wants to get back its sphere of influence in the region, uh, like it did in the glory days. And it's like, well, they do live there. That that doesn't seem like a really insane thing for them to want to have a sphere of in, influence in the place they live, rather than America having the main influence in that region or NATO. If you like, because that's a completely two different things and they, they don't want the exact same thing obviously yeah no uh obviously but uh, the Amr, that's the thing I, he's not smiling while he's admitting to training nazis because as as far as i can tell 
this has he's never been asked about this directly. I don't think anyone anyone in the like mainstream press has been has asked this like who has had access to ask him these questions or our deputy prime minister or Melanie Jolie or any being these people have been asked. So they don't have to admit it. Right. And I don't want to get like too deep into this because uh, there is some work that I'm doing with uh, Dan Buckner this year. Uh, he of the, the bottle men podcast and, uh, you know, a, a, a very reliable and solid comrade. Uh, there's some work that we're getting into this year, which I'm, I don't want to reveal just yet or talk about mm-hmm. just yet. I also don't want to like talk out our, um, what we've already put together, but I will say that it is altogether unsurprising that uh, Trudeau had nothing of substance to say about this, that, you know, the fact that we are arming and training fucking Nazis is not of specific import to him. And it's not, it's not surprising that he's not asked any follow-up questions that would force him to answer, why are we paying to arm Nazis? Why, why is our beef with Russia so important? that Nazis are the preferable alternative. Yeah. And remember that the thing that, that uh, example, I gave, like delete your pictures at the Nazi party. That is not a joke. That is what happened when Pugliese right. originally addre- went up to them and started asking them about like, them training what are clearly open neo-Nazis. Their biggest concern was that the story would break and that, and that like all of the news about them going to like parties with these, with like the, the, uh, like the regiment and all this stuff that would break. That was their concern. Not, Hey, we're trained. Should stop this. Their concern was we don't want people to find out about the fucking, uh, the, like the appetizer party. About our association with, yeah, yeah. Our association with autism. Yeah. Yeah. The, the panic was that it was going to get out to the general public, not that they were doing it in the first place. But that's, again, altogether unsurprising and I think is worth further comment. Uh, but we will be getting further comment on it and we'll be talking about it a lot more, I would say, uh, towards the end of the summer, early fall is where we're going to be having those conversations. Mm-hmm. See if I can find the uh, one, t- just because just to, to validate or just to, no, I'm probably going to take me a while to find it at this point, but I will post it somewhere. But it's, yeah, oh, that's a uh, real thing. And the, the, definitely the, uh, it, yeah. Yeah, the review of the of the thing is that's all going to, we're not going to be allowed to, to, to see the results of that or the findings. That has to all stay um, confidential review of the, whether or not we should be training Nazis. Um, anything else that you want to uh, go over or do you want to call it a wrap for this episode? Um, I think that's it, but I did just find the, uh, the, uh, other one. So it's just, yeah. Canadian officials who met with Ukrainian unit linked to neo-Nazis feared exposure by news media. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it was the Azov battalion. We've been, we've, we haven't named it, but it's, you probably, you've probably heard. They're not like a, uh, they're not just some like just random spare unit that is, has some weird ideas. They're a fairly large one. Um, I'm just trying to look for uh, the the thing about the uh, yeah, it's just about the social media postings. I'll come up with a response. Nah, shit, never mind. All right, but that's yeah, that's basically it. That's all I wanted to talk about. I think we're we're I think I think that's we covered a whole bunch of ground today. Yes, we sure did. Well, I just want to oh, yeah. I just want to thank our uh, call-in listeners. I want to thank our Twitch viewers. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, going forward, because like I'm still uh, working through the integration of a lot of different apps in order to uh, pull these shows together, what you are going to see in the coming weeks is a lot more integration between Colin and Twitch. So 
if you are in the stream and you want to hop onto the or hop into the uh, the Colin listener room and even ask us questions, offer feedback, offer your own observations, you will be able to do that uh, starting next week. Um, and we are also going to have like links uh, that are periodically placed into the chat where you're able to join us. Uh, if you have any feedback for us, please feel free to send us a tweet. Uh, and for those of us who have been supporting the culture.tv so far on Twitch, we thank you very much. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Looking forward to uh, seeing you again next week, Monday. Would you rather raid into the left flank vets or serfs? I'm thinking left flank vets. What do you think? Yeah, let's do left flank. Okay. All right. Hang on one second. I'm just going to go ahead and get the raid ready. All right, to the call. Or wait, say, and, uh, wait, are the left flank, are they Canadians? This is the Canuck cast. Oh, uh, no, the Swifts are Canadian, but left flank fans are not. They're American. Who's got more? Which means we're going to raid over to the Serfs, right? Yeah. All right, folks. Yeah. Um, please don't be too hard on them. You know, Tell them we said what's up. We do have some uh, significant political differences, but I've always been cool with Lance from the Serfs. He's always been cool with me. You're going to hear a lot of lib stuff. And that's okay. You know, it's always it's always all right to hear like differing points of view, and also to hear how different people think. Uh, but uh, tell them what we said what's up, and uh, be really good in their chat. Yeah, he's then, a nice, uh, kind person. So that's that that's the that's the benchmark at this point. So. Lance is a is a very gracious and nice person. All right, I'm going to close mm -hmm. up the call in room. See you all. Soon.